Yo, Pooch. What up, what up? How's everything going? Good, good. How's everything in LA? I'm over in Istanbul. Not too bad. Uh, sunny, of course. Can't can't complain about the weather, but I'm, my my face has been kind of glued to the to the screen, so it's uh haven't been taking in anything outside. Yeah, you wouldn't so. know. No, not really. Right. No, I've been sitting here. It's still 12 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. I don't do the stupid numbers. So 12 degrees Celsius, which is pretty much it's uh, it's uh, people are bitching about it, you know, being too cold here. I'm like, it's literally triple that in Kuwait. Why are you complaining? You can go outside without feeling your, your face singe. True. So, That's the one thing I'm dreading about the Kuwait trip back in, uh, in, in, in July. But I guess the, 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 the advantage of that is definitely going to be uh, in, in-person Venture Bros episodes, right? Oh, right, right. Ah, oh, fuck. I got to smell you again. Anyways, <laughs> you can shower before. Yeah, yeah, I'll shower. Yo, you know how sometimes we're just having these conversations and we keep going on and on about how like frivolous and stupid VC has become? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I usually chime in every now and then, but as as a founder like, trying to suck up to VCs, it's a. Uh, I, I am careful right. about words. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. But like, since I'm not on anybody's payroll anymore, I can be me. So True. you know, like 30, 30, 40 years ago, right? Like you know, the winner in KPMG's portfolio was uh, not KPMG, Kleiner Perkins. I don't know why I say KPMG, but Kleiner Perkins was Genentech. Um, so. Genentech was so basically like you know they the founders had started had set out to like start a company and in fact they started an industry with uh, you know genetic genetic engineering and you know basically this is the reason we have plentiful insulin cheap insulin well why the world does not America but right. um, they kind of invented that genetic engineering process and with it like you know four hundred other new drugs suddenly popped up and. Uh, yeah so uh, you know now it's like let's all invest in these like uh, weird. Um, monkeys that possibly turn into cartoons maybe maybe not i don't know we'll see but so here's the thing i've been having that conversation with some other uh you know friends on and off twitter every now and then and uh i had a friend who kind of pinged me about raising a fund that was really focused on doing things that matter as opposed to funding more cartoon monkeys mm-hmm. and without further ado uh i want to introduce you to a friend of mine you and the audience because i forget they exist but aiden gold Aziz, thank you so much for having me. And Mohammed, it's, it's super nice to meet you. I'm like so fired up to be here. And Aziz and I, we've been vibing on Twitter lately, just about like talking about like real things in the world that need to be solved. And I feel like then like we started DMing and we were like, hey, we should like talk talk about this live, talk about what, like, what people need to work on, why we're so like frustrated with all of our smartest minds caught up working on NFTs and crypto and like why there's a lot of good technology there. It seems like, it's taking up too much of the cultural zeitgeist. Not, not enough of our attention is going on to like, how can we solve like the big existential problems for like our species? So I'm like super st- stoked to talk about it today. I like that. That, that sounds awesome. And I definitely see the the, you know, I I don't really see the the VC side of it, but as a as a founder that's trying to hire and seeing where all the talent's going, I I definitely feel that too. That that does yeah. make a lot of sense. I mean, so like what you're working on, like working with the government to like improve our, like something that has been like the bedrock of society for so long and trying to modernize it. Like that's super important. Like buying virtual ape land and million dollar NFTs. Like I feel like our society could be okay maybe without that, you know, like are those equal? Like, I'm not sure if they are. Um, Like it seems like things like with government or how we organize each other should be way more important than digital apes. But it's just crazy that that's not where things are at right now. Like there's a huge disconnect. 
Yeah, I think the the one thing that I keep noticing quite a bit is that definitely like, and, and this is like a historical parallel that I think we spoke about in like previous episodes, but it's always been something along the lines of whenever there's a new tech, all the engineering and all the VC um, talent slash attention always ends up going to that new tech and they don't realize time and time again that it's like there's going to be rules built around it. And the systems and the people who are building these rules have no idea about that technology. So, you know, having your voice be heard and having everything, having everything kind of, you know, having all these regulations and these regulatory frameworks drafted in public is something that people tend to overlook. And that's where I see, you know, us kind of coming in or like whatever, whatever it is that we're doing on our end, like with, with making that legislative data and making everyone's voice kind of heard. Um, be useful because like, even if you do care about, you know, monkey JPEGs and, and, and buying property in fake lands, I mean, it's, you, you know, eventually it's going to be some rules going to come out. That's going to be super controversial. And then all you have is like an 800 page PDF you need to skim through for like a snippet of information about, Oh, now that's illegal. Or now that's, you can't do that anymore. And, and if you have your whole portfolio slash life in it, it's, it's just going to be it's going to blindside you and that shouldn't be happening, especially nowadays. But so one thing I think like, like I'm a super like 99% of crypto to me is like, like kind of like feels not super relevant to what's going to matter in the long run, but bringing it like back. Like I do think though, that like the most exciting application of crypto is like governance and like organizing humans, like incentives. So I do think like, even though we're talking about like, we're like putting down board apes and we're like trying to say that like, um, like, yeah, we need to get more people working on like climate change, like, like manufacturing, housing, like water supply, like government. Um, I do think like crypto, like when I get so excited about it, is this way to like align incentives, like whether that's a DAO structure um, or like you getting money for like going on a walk or like, like a step, like, you know, like there's all these different things you can do to like, um, yeah. like how can we use economic frameworks to get humans to do things? True. Exactly. Cause, cause that's the one and, thing we're, we're sort of noticing. It's like, yeah, incentives are everything. Right. So like yeah. one of my friends is building a startup where you can build like courses and, with those courses, um, every time you complete a course or you complete a lesson, you get like rewarded like NFT awards or something like that. Is that, that. like rabbit hole or? or, or uh, um, so, so the startup is called uh, 101, um, 101.xyz. And it's like, it's getting a lot of traction now and everything just because like, that's what works. It's just like incentivizing people to do things that normally they're like a little not motivated to do. Um, but like the the one thing that I keep noticing is is those kind of follow a, a slow but steady or you know not as fast of or explosive of a growth a growth rate compared to um fake property or or just you know copying and pasting someone's artwork the, and selling it on open the, the thing is like we we have not yet even begun to scratch the surface with what can be done in terms of crypto that isn't frivolous monkey shit um <laughs> Honestly, like, you know, you have to bring like some example from like way out of left field for most people to get it. Now, before this becomes, you know, Aziz and Mode Talk Crypto episode 36,000. But, uh, uh, you know, right. the, the, here's the thing. So here, here's my example out of left field for some people to understand. Okay. So immutable or, or uh, blockchain in general really introduced two new concepts to computing. One was like immutable objects and these ledgers. You know, the fact that you can't copy paste the thing. 
Um, and then, and then, well, the thing on the blockchain, not the monkey picture, because you can copy paste that. But um, and then, so there's immutability on one side, and then on the other side, Aiden, like you said, governance and the way you can kind of use economics to incentivize humans to do different things. So my example out of left field for how this can be useful over the longer term is, um, you know, there are people out there working on basically ways to crowdfund cures. So with with the governance component, they can actually issue like you know these equity type tokens to kind of crowd raise purely on crypto from everyone around the world, not necessarily, you know, doing it with accredited investor laws and going to securities laws and bankers and whatnot. You can, you can crowdfund amounts of money intended to research off-label uses for existing drugs that have, that have sat on shelves for generations forever. Um, and these patents are no longer contested or held by anyone. They're kind of out there. Um, and then if one of these crowdfunded uh, events actually generates a cure for a new or obscure disease, a disease so obscure that most pharmaceutical companies wouldn't pour money into finding treatment or a cure for it just because, you know, it's not going to generate that much income for them over the longer term because they're businesses at the end of the day. Um, if, if, if that patent is then generated, and this cannot be patented because A, it, it's too similar to an existing patent, and now there are all these different like patent laws that prohibit you from mass producing it or selling it elsewhere, you can now generate an NFT with what would have been the patent and anyone anywhere under like open, um, open source uh, frameworks can then, you know, compound the drug themselves and, and use it for a rare, obscure disease. Um, so you're basically sidestepping existing laws, not doing something illegal, but finding the loopholes in, the, in that law to A, um, use the governance systems in crypto to actually uh, uh, raise money and hire the people to do it. And B, generate the intellectual property or what would have been the patent in order for this to be mass produced legally. So that's that's like one of the way out of left field ideas for how crypto can be used that isn't a monkey. Totally. So, yeah, you, you're putting like essentially like publication data um, and IP data on chain that's verifiable and can somehow like align it all back to the, the people. People can build on yeah. that. And it's it's all it's all an open database that everyone can kind of see. Yeah, or imagine like entire marketplaces with with no trusted third party, right? Where everything was a smart contra uh, contract, and the only thing that even remotely looked like a third party would be someone in like a customer support capacity that could be paid by the foundation of um, that layer two DAP. Or see, so th these are the ideas where this is why, like you know, they say, oh, it's Internet 1994. Like Internet 1994, nobody could have really like foresaw what Facebook was doing before it turned evil, right? Nobody really thought of what, uh, you know, once we go into like, you know, e-commerce tools, like that would be that even dwarfs even, even e-commerce, like, you know, like all the analytics that were born out of the early e-commerce um, activities in the early 90s. And, you know, the big data that generated that became a, an industry in and of itself. So it's hard to really foresee the permutations and the future generations of very basic things in their infancy. And that's why crypto is interesting to me. You know, the thing is, like, every time I say that or I mention crypto or Web3 or the fact that I pour my effort and energy into it, they think like, oh, you have 47,000 JPEGs worth more than the GDP of like half of Africa. Right. right. So even though you can copy paste them. So, yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't want to veer too, too far. Yeah. Off yeah. Course, yeah. And I, I mean, you're working. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually thinking about it. Like, it's so funny that we like we're going down that like the crypto rabbit hole. And I was like thinking about the question though. It's like, what is the most important thing that we should be working on? Like, um, that like people aren't working on that is like where like capital should go, founders should go. Um, when you think about the future, like we need to work on this industry um, that yeah. you feel like isn't being widely talked about. For me, it comes down to two things. I'm not saying by any means these are the only two things worth it, but number one, decarbonization. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that kind of falls under climate, but I mean, everything we do that emits carbon, everything from like transport to food, to, to construction, to all of it, uh, needs to find a way to be decarbonized. So just like all these mines went into ways into carbonizing it, thus generating more energy and you know, giving us the ability to produce more, uh, you know, between 1850 and 1900, you know, the, the bulk of industrialization, we need to find a way to maintain industrialization, but flip to carbon free. And then the other thing probably would be biotech. And again, what that means for health, what that means for agriculture, what that means for really everything, you know? Totally. And what, what do you think, Mo? I think, you know, on my end, definitely biased because of the industry that I'm working in, but like GovTech, um, I've had a lot of very big conversations with like veterans in this industry who hold like what currently is the main source of legislative data and, and all that type of stuff that that's being worked on in open source setting. And um, every time I bring up Web3 blockchain, like they, it, it seems like they get very kind of, they, they have an aggressive, strong opinion on it in the sense that um, the way they see it in this industry is it's very much like solutionism. Like they think of, they think of the solution before they think of where that po- problem should be uh, or like what that problem is that they should apply that solution to. I mean, um, the biggest, biggest thing that came to mind when I was like still early on kind of building, uh, in, in this industry was, uh, voting, uh, because, you know, with, with all, con- all the controversy with like votes and stuff, not to dive too deep into it. Um, you know, thinking that all those votes can basically happen on a blockchain where everything is verifiable and you can't fake or replicate or duplicate or delete any of that data. It just seemed like a very, very obvious solution. Um, but also at the same time, I think it's because, you know, you'll probably find this in, in other industries as well, but because it's a stagnant industry, so there's not much tech talent moving towards it. Um, the opinions have kind of formed and been solidified and it just gets very, very difficult trying to figure out, trying to figure out how to work that new tech into anything that that's currently being experienced. Totally. And it's kind of like this innovator's dilemma, right? Like it's hard to do it within government to, to be able to, to then kind of disrupt itself with this kind of like a third party application. Right. Um, it, it, it makes it difficult for me. Like, and I think about what's like the most critical and I'm curious, like how you guys think about like this very topic that I'm about to mention is like education. Um, Cause I, I do think like, when you think about like decarbonization, government, biotech, like every industry that you just mentioned, like, where does it all stem from? It all stems from education. And I do think like education is literally the, the bedrock of like the future. And if we can like educate the next generation, right, it's the key to solving actually every single other problem. Um, so like when I think about the future and what I'm most bullish on is like, think about how much of your life that you felt like was not maximized your education. I don't like so much of your education was probably when you took life by like the horns and you started like going on the internet, connecting with people, having conversations, you know, and how can you empower more people to go on that journey and like improve their education journeys? And I just think that like, if you can educate the next generation, right. For like a decade, 15 years, like it's impossible to imagine what they're going to build. And it's a super long-term thing. And it's hard to see the results, um, like anything. Um, but yeah. So education is one of those things that like, I'm, I'm, I'm super, uh, focused on. I want to find more founders kind of building in that space. So Aiden, education is one of those things that again, is very deeply tied into, you know, policy, government, that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, what, what can be done in the private sector? What would you like to see done to know that like, you know, education will be taken care of and we, that's something we actually excel at over the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. So it's such a broad topic. Like what type of education are we talking about? You know, are we talking about like 
pre-K through like eighth grade, you know, like just at the, are we talking about high school? Are we talking about trade schools? Are we talking about like, like entrepreneurship education? Like it's like such a like broad, broad lifelong education, how you continue to learn and grow and adapt to the, the way the world's changing. Um, but this, like where, where are the biggest gaps right now? The most immediate issues. So in my opinion, it's a retraining of workforce at like a massive scale from the old economy to the new economy. Um, I think that, for example, one of the the largest single employer in the US, truck driving, 6 million people are employed by truck driving. Is that going to be automated with the the Tesla semi in the next like decade? I would say the odds are pretty high and maybe it's a quarter that like it happens. Um, maybe it's, you know, 25% chance it happens in the next 10 years that Tesla semi starts to take a lot of those jobs. So then you have 6 million people, you know, you have all these people at fast food restaurants. So you're going to start to like automate retail workers, people are doing things online. So like we need to create institutions that can retrain people in like a six to nine month time horizon to get new economy jobs, whether that's installing solar panels, that's like manufacturing, that's coding, like whatever it is, like there needs to be a pipeline to plug back in. And I do think the uh, ISAs, income shared agreements, where the incentives are aligned, where you can go get education for free, and then you only make money if they teach you the skills to go get the job that you desired after. That's the future. Um, Because we talked about incentives right when we started this conversation. You have to align the incentives of the educator and the the person getting educated. Yeah. I I, want to go back to a point that you mentioned earlier, where you said, you know, a, a lot of the a lot of the attention or a lot of the things that need to be done in the like ed tech or just education space, generally speaking, are very very long term. That sometimes you can't even see the the goals. Um, I think w- is that would you think that that's a reason why there's not a lot of attention being paid to it because we're kind of in an environment where people are expecting instant gratification, whether that's like on a personal level with like all the social media or at, at the business level where. You know, people want to hit ridiculous valuations, ridiculous ARRs, like immediately. Um, do you see that because all those like educations and like, I'm not sure if it's right, bundling them together, but those moonshots are why not a lot of VC money is going into it? It's, yeah, you bring up such a great point because yeah. I, I do think that if you think about everything that we have done for a large part of it, it's short-term gratification. I mean, a lot of this like SaaS industry that's getting like crushed right now in the markets has just been built on like... ARRs, numbers, like growth and just like pumping out software. But like, is it really like long-term thinking making our like civilization better at like a massive scale? Like, I think we needed these, this first software wave, but I think it has nothing to do what's coming next. You know, I think if anything, we're realizing software is coming down to the, the, the public market, the private market, because we realize, wait, there's like, we need to get back to the most important things, you know, like that are like in the physical world, like housing, water, climate change, education, health, biotech. So I think you're seeing this like recalibration that's happening in real time. Um, and I, I think that the, like there's early incentives of people who are thinking long-term, like I think the Teal fellows are super interesting. Um, I think there's some new schools that are starting to emerge. And I think just more and more people are going to be uh, realizing that we need to think longer term and there's industries doing this. I mean, like Aziz, you brought it up at the beginning, like, uh, like biotech companies are naturally like thinking 10 year time horizons that are not profitable for so long, you know, like lots of like deep tech companies. And I think the pendulum is swinging that way that like more and more people are understanding, like we need to start, like, it should be the norm to like work on things that like 
or like decade long projects, because like those are where like things that matter the most. We need like Apollo style thinking, right? So in the early 1960s, when the Apollo program uh, basically was announced or first set into motion in NASA, like even like the most learned, educated, level-headed people internally were saying, this is insane. Like we have to invent 400 different things for this thing to actually take off and land on the moon by the end of the decade. Um, it's nuts. It's crazy. But, you know, with the proper uh, resources and proper human resources and proper backing and, and that sort of a thing, it was actually attainable. And not only was it attainable, that about 10 years after that opinion was shared internally, it became mundane because every few months they were landing another mission on the moon and it stopped making the news. Right. So imagine if we do the same with like direct air capture, by the way, we're like capturing a gigaton is like pennies and literally no one cares anymore. It just happens all the time. You know? It becoming boring is the ultimate sign of success. But the thing yeah. is, like, yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, but it's so interesting. Like, why is Apollo, like, captures everyone's imagination and attention? Why can't it be, like, these other, like, things, like, coming up with, like, a cure for, like, heart disease or, like, like lung cancer or breast cancer or whatever? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's something about, like, seeing the rocket take off, which, like, yeah. like that gravitates everyone's, like, space is always used as, like, the like analogy to like how we need to do everything. So it's like, how do you switch it to other things that like people can like rally behind and feel like they're witnessing, you know? Cause I feel like that's part of the problem. That's, Honestly, that's actually, agree, I think people, people need uh, to see it. I'm sorry, Mo, I'll, I'll let you make your point, but it, yeah, it, it's, it's, this is the way people function, right? Like if I told you that there's some like silent disease that's killed, you know, a hundred thousand people in the country last year, you know, it's they're nameless, faceless. I'm just saying people and I haven't introduced you to anyone. You haven't met a family. It, it doesn't register. It doesn't click. Right. But if somebody, you know, is the victim of this terrible disease, it becomes the most important thing in your life. So people are visual, like they need to see something to be affected. So I think the conversation is how do we make this visual? How do we, how do we give people a visual reference to see that, oh, unchecked climate change is a disaster. Heart disease not being monitored is a disaster. Right. Yeah. I think I think to 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 chime in like because I think you hit a very interesting point that we ex we kind of experience on the engineering side quite a bit because you know say for example there's this one feature that we were building on our platform and it took you know pretty much a, a, like a couple of steps away from AI uh, like building our own model to train data to see whether bills have been altered or modified like in a secretive or discrete way. And what that looked like on, on the actual product is like on whatever interface that we have that searches for bills, it's just a checkbox. And we filter bills based off of ones we detected um, to be altered or modified. Um, and I think that's that's kind of like a common theme with softwares because there's nothing physical out of it, with the exception of just like an interface that you can just interact with it. If it's if it's a rocket that you can see physically go into space with all the, that sound and breaking the sound barrier and all that stuff, that's where the the sense of wonder kind of kicks kicks in and like to speak about like why i got into software in the first place it wasn't until i kind of saw what lies behind the interface i was like whoa this is actually very very cool because it's an entire ecosystem of like services and almost like an, an economy of services and nodes in this network kind of talking to each other data going in between them and all that different stuff that gave me that sense of wonder but you know that only interests a very very small percentage of people out there so when you when people or like when i come across an article saying that oh a cure was found it's like cool good job scientists just get get on to the <laughs> next thing i guess um, but like i i know that i would be way way more invested if I saw the process and then I saw everything that had to be done to get to that point, 
Yeah. So I have like a bunch of thoughts right now. So um, Elon like famously says, like, if we don't capture the rocket launches and everything we do on video, then it, it might as well didn't happen. This is like, right. like a thing he's like, so it's like part of launching the rocket is like inspiring everyone. Like he understands that very much. That's why there's such good content that comes out with these things. So um, one thing that like we're trying to do at HyperGuap Atlantis, which is the VC fund that I launched a week ago. Um, we're raising the VC fund to invest in frontier tech. That's going to change the world and improve the species across every sector and industry um, is we, we have a YouTube channel that has 160,000 subscribers. That was a lot of Tesla employees um, and Bitcoin and and uh, people who just care about like making a difference, hyperchangers is what they're what they're called. Um, and this like community of people, we want to continue to grow. And we're going to use the platform to to use our VC fund to invest in startups and then document their stories and get people stoked on like while why like making like a cure for this disease is so cool using gene therapy and how you can use machine learning to like model it out and like document that with a video that you can see, you know, um, because we think that's important and make it like approachable, not just like an article, not just like something from like CNBC or Bloomberg that feels super formal, but something that feels like, yeah, it's just like your, your neighbor down the street, like talking about this cool thing that like is better for everyone. And like, we're going to document that. Yeah. I think that that's, Honestly, like in, in order to get the the public like enthralled or like interested um, by a lot of the stuff that's going on right now, like everything you mentioned and and a couple of the points that I touched on as well, it's it's there there kind of needs to be a very heavy investment in data visualization because once you kind of show the background of everything that you did to generate that news or like that headline of we were just able to do this one thing. Um, if you take that entire process and like no one's going to really read through it because it's months and years of research and just like scattered documents, code, all, all that type of stuff. Once you visualize it into something where it's like, here's a pretty presentation of everything that we needed to do to get there. Everyone's going to be like, wow, that's, you know, that's something that I'm interested in. For some people, it's going to be, I wonder what it's like when, when we dive into it. Like, what are the the nuances, the conventions of the space and everything? And that's that's just how you get people interested, generally speaking. You know, it reminds me of the guy who had to go to such great lengths to prove that uh, um, ulcers were not caused by acids, right? The guy who won the Nobel mm -hmm. Prize for it, I'm forgetting his name, the doctor. Yeah. So nobody would believe him. Nobody would believe his research. He published everywhere. Public, you know, he gave presentations like medical societies everywhere. You know, spoke to colleagues, went to medical universities presenting his findings. Pretty much nobody gave a shit. The only way that he actually, you know, got people to listen to him, which ultimately won him the Nobel Prize, was to actually ingest the bacteria bacteria that gave him an ulcer, documented the entire process, documented the treatment and his cure with the evidence, and that's when they listen. So yeah. I think think it, of how so many like solutions and cures we have that people are just not listening to because it's not visually striking enough. Yeah, I think it's so. So I, I looked it up, and it's the the guy who ingested the acid. I think his name is Barry J. Marshall, and yeah. he won the Nobel Prize with J. Robin Warren about like that. That was basically the realization that got them that that achievement. Um, yeah, for for something where if he was wrong, by the way, he would have like had acid burn through his stomach wall. Yeah, that's what Just, it took for people to listen to. Yeah, it's kind of horrifying but i mean going on a less like risky approach i think not only the public but like to, to even interest like 
people who are not in the space that have the money to fund progress in this space, right? Like VCs, investors, anything along the lines of that. Like there needs to be uh, um, an internal storytelling aspect to kind of show everyone either the projections about the path they're going to take to get to that discovery or that invention, or even um, something along the lines of, you know, data visualization that I talked about, which is, you know, here's everything that we're doing. Here's all the charts being up and to the right. And this is where we see this industry as a whole going that I think is really going to attract a lot of like money into it, much needed money. Let's talk about you know, after people get it and start diverting capital to it. And, and you know, for example, EVs. So, you know, I mean, Aiden, you brought up Elon. He's been screaming about EVs for well over a decade. Finally, the industry is beginning to listen. People at VW and GM and Ford are actually sinking capital into changing, into changing their offerings into being primarily EV-based. I mean, once we actually get there, how do you see the S-curve developing in terms of uptake, in terms of like satellite industries, competitors popping up, that sort of thing? And then how does that affect like, you know, your deployment um, plans for capital? For EV specifically or for just um, industries more broadly? Like what's kind of, what do you... Electrification in general, whether that's power walls, EVs, you know, carbon-free industry. Well, I, th- I mean, I think a common thread of technology is like, there's like this overhypeness, right. Where it's like not ready. And it's, and so then everyone kind of get like, kind of like bats it down a little bit and then it's a really expensive. It's slow. It's like an okay product. Like only like an elite group of people tend to buy it at first and it gets a little bit, a little better, better, better and better. And then like more people get adopted to it. The technology is improving. It's cheaper. And then next thing you know, like, it's like mass adoption. It's the best product. It's democratized. Um, so it's like this phase from like deceptive to like, um, like disruptive and then democratization, you know? Um, so I, I think we'll see that across like every aspect of electrification. And it's just a matter of like where we are on the, uh, the, that curve for different types of uh, products and electrification. Yeah. I do have a question about that though. Is there such a thing that as as like things being brought to the public's attention a little too early because i think that's that might be actually what we're starting to notice with with web3 where you know web3 is still very much in its infancy and people are seeing the the like seeing the benefits of it and seeing how it could be applied to these different stagnant industries things in our society and see like the the actual benefit of it but then i think because it was put out there a little too early a lot of the people even around me are in LA, and I think you could tell this too, started forming opinions about it, where the minute you mention Web3, it's like, oh God, here here we go again. But, but I think that's like the part of the process is like this kind of like this phase of like, it feels really disruptive, but then everyone, it like, I, I forget, there's someone coined the term, like there's like these like 60s of like the innovation cycle. And I can't remember all of them, um, but it's like this disruptive and then it's like deceptive, right? Like it's like, oh, this isn't really that good. But I think you need that to get people excited, working on it, thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it becomes ubiquitous, right? Like it becomes, um, and I think like, unless you get that really exciting phase, you're never going to get like the long tail phase, like, like virtual reality. Everyone's like, Oh my God, this is happening, you know, but now like behind the scenes, like VR is like really happening. Like it's getting really good. Um, and it's yeah. getting, you know, and it's like five years from now, people are going to be like, wait, it's actually like, 
I could put on the VR headset and like, this is a really good experience um, where it's like, everyone was like a laughing stock. Like it was like, Oh, this isn't legit. This is never going to work. No one's going to go in this. So then all of a sudden it comes in. And I think that's like web three is like kind of going through this hype cycle. It's going to, people are, it's probably going to go through like a major down cycle of like people being like, yo, what's really going on here. Um, but then that's when the really exciting things are going to like come back. Um, and yeah, I think there's like a natural order to, 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 to things like that. Yeah. Aiden, what are your, what are some of your best investments and why, or favorite investments I should say and why? Yeah. So one of my, one of my favorite startups I've invested in is an EV charging company. Um, and, and how they're, like they have an awesome story where they were starting to uh, put in chargers in real estate buildings underground. And they kept getting all these calls from their uh, customers. And they were like, Hey, like, I can't charge. Like it's underground. There's no Wi-Fi. So they were paying all this money to install like $50,000 worth of Wi-Fi underground. And then instead of like the buildings had to pay, it was like such a pain. They're like, what if we can make EV charging that doesn't need Wi-Fi that you can just do like a transmissionless, uh, like, uh, transactions from charging. It was like this just distributed network. So that's what they're doing. And they're partnering with all the biggest real estate companies. Um, I invest in their, their, their series a they're, they're growing and that's a company I'm super excited about. Um, and then nice. I'm, I'm an investor in SpaceX. So like, I feel like I, there's SpaceX needs no introduction. Um, but I, I think that what they're going to do with Starlink and Wi-Fi is like, like, it's like impossible to even process right now. Like they could seriously get like, be the, the, the biggest internet provider in the world. Um, and so I'm, I'm super excited about SpaceX. Um, I invested in like an electric RV company. Um, so but early Tesla engineers are doing this. It, it's called Lightship. And it looks like a light, like it looks like something out of the future. And like you can live in there, you connect to your SpaceX Wi-Fi, you, you go around the country. It's like your like little pod that you go in. And it's meant to be towed behind like a cyber truck. Um, and it's like this idea nice. like like the future of living might be like in your like your little like light ship commune, like going places and like working, showering, and it could like do all those different things. So like those are some of the things that like I'm super excited about. Um, and then like, yeah, I've, I probably, I think I've made like over, like over a dozen startup investments at this point. So personally, and, and all kind of fall into that same bucket. Of, are you, are you willing to share if even that no, go ahead? Oh yeah. So, so I, was, I was just going to say like all, all of those are basically ones that you feel like are building something where people are just going to generally go like, okay, this, this is a tool that we have, but how did we live before this? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think like, um, you, like once something becomes ubiquitous, like, but I, it's, it's, it's interesting because like, not everyone's going to be like an RVer, but it's like, our RV is going to go electric eventually. Like, I think so. Right. And like, who's going to be the best to build it. It's going to be like early Tesla engineers that like built like electric vehicles. Um, and they're going to make it the coolest electric RV the world has ever seen. So it's like, that's inevitable. It might not be for everyone, right. Just like certain things, but it's like, but it's going to, but I think it's going to be a market expanding, uh, like opportunity. Wait, so I, I like to ask this question because this was the original premise of the uh, of the podcast before we realized most people didn't want to talk about it. But um, what are some of your most notable failures, even if you don't mention the name or any specifics, and why did they fail? Yeah, in terms of uh, like startups that I've invested in or what? Yeah, 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 so yeah I, startups. Yeah, so I haven't invested in any companies that have failed yet. 
Um, but I've only been doing it for like a year and a half. Um, so it's a little bit too early to, to tell, but, and I also think it's been like an interesting market. So like yeah. maybe that, maybe that will change. Um, but I, I do think like some of the companies that like I've invested in are like, it's deep tech. Like it takes a while, you know, like, uh, one of the companies, um, like, uh, is changing how we like live in spaces with modular living. And it's like a super long sales cycle. It's super complicated. Are we really going to live with things coming down from the ceiling and stuff like that? Um, so, I mean, I, I think it could work, but I think in this type of macro environment, it's like capital is a little bit harder to come by. And so maybe like certain things that like aren't making like at progress at the rate that they need, like might have a hard time continuing with funding. Um, so I don't know. There's not, no, no failures I can speak to yet. Um, but maybe I'll come back on the pod and walk you through some of them in the future. Definitely. Yeah. We can have a special episode with like, you know, dim lighting between X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tell us your biggest losses. Like we're here, we're here yeah. for you. And listeners, if you'd like to, uh, some insight into the bloodshed in my portfolio since 2016, 17, Episodes one through up until this one for that. So. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I've had some pretty fun implosions, but that's not what this one's about. Anyhow, so, um, oh, Aiden, I just wanted to take, I mean, what, what is your take? Given given the sort of investments that you do and you don't have a portfolio full of SaaS, how has the mania of the last two years um, really affected what's been going on in, in your little segment of VC? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that there's like high valuations and, and things like that. Um, but I think if you like the, the way, what I always say is that like the best time to invest in the future is always today. And um, so like, regardless of like too much of like macroeconomic conditions and the craziness of like the last two years and like the valuations being all out of whack and like so much money in the market, um, it's just like, you just got to find like people building and just like back the right people who are like the builders. And no matter like what the case is, like the best builders will build amazing companies over time. And like that, those are the types of people that like, I want to be involved with. You've deployed entirely in the U S up until now. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so, and we've just had a syndicate. So we launched our syndicate in January, 2021. So just about a year and a half now. Um, and we invested $21 million into nine companies in our first year, um, all from like this cr- like crowdsourced, like hyperchange YouTube channel, um, which has like, so we have like a thousand syndicate members um, and it's just, everyone's kind of on the same wavelength of like wanting to like invest in the future that we believe in. So it's like a very like aligned investment group. Nice. And is there any FinTech that you see aligning with your objectives? Yes. Yeah, of, so- of just like, yes. Yeah. So we've done some fintech companies, um, inc- like, so like Carta is one of our investments, which we think is like the bedrock of, um, kind of the startup ecosystem, like the cap table equity. So we see that as essential to like, actually like improving like the livelihoods of people around the world because the single great, like greatest form of like generating wealth is equity. Um, and so if you're managing equity for startups, that's like critically important. So that's why we were really excited to back Carta. Um, and then another one of our investments is Rainbow Wallet. It's an Ethereum wallet. Um, and we invest in their Series A round. And they have an extremely like unique way of approaching the wallet where they want anyone to download it and be able to figure it out. Uh, MetaMask is pretty complicated, um, but 
it's kind of was like the initial onboarding and the way that rainbows differentiated is like design emojis, education, explaining. So it feels like one of those things that feels like a toy and it's really easy to use. So we think it's going to onboard like the next like million people onto like DeFi and crypto um, because it's just so much easier to use. Sweet. Yeah, I definitely see. And, and, for 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 a lot of the companies that you mentioned, I, I do remember Carta. Like I was I was having a conversation with one of our investors, and he mentioned how Carta, like at the get go, was um, a lot of VCs ended up passing on them just because they didn't think it was a market that was big enough. And um, you know, only with time, like the the, the whole long term piece that we talked about, is where they they started noticing that um, oh, like this can serve as a sort of meta business, and not meta as in metaverse for the company, but Meta is in like the the back end or the the foundation of multiple different industries, and that kind of what it ended up growing up to. Because now, regardless of what industry you're in, you use Carta if you're a startup. Um, and I mean, I think I think from the get go, um, I'm I'm not sure how much like early stage investments you've done, but how do you kind of see beyond the the early stage chaos? If if you see something where you know, if an opportunity comes up and either the market's not big enough or their goals are too far-fetched or it's something like that, where it does seem quite impossible that this team, this team of less than five is going to end up actually accomplishing. Um, what what are sort of indicators that you use to, to kind of oversee that and go like, okay, they might be onto something pretty big here? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing that's like the most important uh, thing to look for at like pre-seed, seed, even series A is like the X factor of the founder. I mean, does this person have, have that kind of X factor that makes them just like super unique and just like all cylinders um, of a human being to like solve that problem? I mean, that's really all you can really screen for at the earliest stages that they're going to um, fight tooth and nail to execute that. Um, and that if you had to like look around like the entire world, like this is the best person that's actually working on this right now that you can get in touch with. And like, do you really believe that, that this, this is the right person? And oftentimes, like when you like look around the industry, there's often sometimes not that many people working on like these problems. And you realize that it's a small list of people. And if you find the right founders, it's like, those are the people that you want to, you want to back. Um, and then I do think like, like finding things that at scale, um, are going to be super meaningful for like our species that like, if we do this, like our, like things will never, ever be the same. And this is like critical. Um, and like trying to find things like that are like super meaningful like that. Yeah. I'm trying to discover DoorDash and things have never, ever been the same. True. (laughs) (laughs) never left the house oh yeah no, def- <laughs> definitely got got me thinking what my x factor is but that's pretty much just like driving to the 24-hour cvs at 3 a.m just buying candy and jerky and just coming back pretty much <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that's a, a game-changing thing but it's it's there so yeah wait I did mean, you invest did you invest in doordash or you're just a big doordash user no just a, just a fan and an early adopter and a big fan <laughs> Yeah, with well, with crypto, you could have been incentivized with equity for using it early on. So true, true. Hey, that yeah. might get that might get me uh, searching for. Is there is there like a a Web three slash crypto equivalent of DoorDash? Maybe. Well, well, I think not yet, but generally, right. like if uh, or, or not that I know of, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like this whole idea that everyone talks about is like if you're an early adopter, you should get some of the upside. You know, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I see that because you do put up with a lot of the flaws. And I mean, most of the flaws yeah. in, in general startups offering a product is, is, you know, if it's software, it's definitely going to be bugs and just like inability to handle scale at, uh, early on and all that stuff. And, you know, even even building things in my industry, like, of course, like our, our, our product does come across a usual bug here and there. And just there there have been people that, you know, come across it and then just don't let us know. And there, there are other people who might come across it, come across it and like email me. We have threads of like 50 emails back and forth going, okay, like this is the problem. What's the perfect solution for you? How can we fix this? How can we tweak it? And and it's always those early adopters that are very proactive that, you know, even from a founder's perspective, like you, you can kind of rely on to to build something pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, you know, so this is a thought I've had really since the beginning of, of uh, the pandemic. Like sometimes a thesis can kind of percolate around a crisis. Um, sometimes that's a good thing because people have realized that, oh, there is a true long-term problem that requires, uh, uh, that requires investment in order to properly tackle. Um, sometimes, you know, those kind of theses can be very short-lived in a, a very loud, but uh, you know, short-lived bubble, right? Um, so this, you know, recently, you know, the reasons oil prices have been going uh, way up, you know, it, it's giving people the idea that it may stay up for a considerable period of time. And therefore, it's pushing more resources into like, you know, green tech and decarbonization and that kind of a thing. Um, you know, COVID, by the way, put mRNA on the map because how many how many biotech startups were there really looking to mRNA prior to COVID? Not that many, right? It was the long shot that worked out of like 130 vaccine um, vaccine trials or something like that, 120, 130, all the ones that failed. Um, you know, a handful that worked and they were primarily mRNA. And now look at all the funding pouring into that. That's a whole new class of drugs. Um, another thing that you don't, don't really hear about if you're in the States most of the time is like how financial crises can lead to new fintech. And nowadays that means a lot more crypto. So I'll, I'll give you an idea. So, uh, you know, the MENA region, Middle East, North Africa, um, some people tend to lump in Pakistan and Turkey into that region. Other people are more like Arab area purists. I'm going to use the wider, uh, wider definition for this purpose. Um, crypto uptake, and especially of stable coins for payment. Um, has been way higher in this region than it has been in some parts of the world, like the US and the European Union, where at least up until recently, inflation was fairly flat and predictable, and financial crises weren't very widespread. So here's the thing. There's a really good correlation with financial crises and inflation and the use of stable coins, because it's difficult to get and use dollars in local banks when those sorts of things kind of happen, because central banks are trying to stop stop people from basically dumping the local currency and sending it to zero, right? You know, to maintain a use case. So um, a, a lot, I mean, everywhere you go in Turkey, by the way, there's like a, a Bitcoin ad somewhere or another, you know, most commonly purchased coin, Bitcoin, second most common, most countries, Ethereum here, US dollar tether and coin, just so that it's, you can freely use it amongst yourselves with wallets. That are it's, not actually, it's actually crazy. Yeah. When I was in Istanbul like four months ago, that was like, yeah. my, like, I've never seen so much crypto in my life. I mean, there was like uh, crypto every single like few corners you would see like a place to like go in person and like find like they would like help you do it i mean it was like yeah it's kind of crazy um it felt like one of the most forward looking crypto places that i've, I've ever been like in your face like in a city yeah yeah, yeah. Dude, they're like fruit carts selling selling you fruit you know per kilo in tether you can just yeah. like you know pull your phone out and pay the guy in tether it's incredible wow. but uh you know another another i mean the last thing really is um uh, yeah. So okay. So you know, Turkey, given its size, you you would expect them to see you know to see uh, you know quite a bit of volume. If, if you're not looking at it on a per capita basis, right? 
Um, a lot of volume in Turkey because inflation, the print last month for April was 70% year on year, by the way. Um, the print in yeah, the, the print in Lebanon is even higher, and Lebanon is actually number two for, for volume on exchanges, if you can believe it. More than wow. the Emirates, more than Saudi, more than Pakistan, at Lebanon, tiny Lebanon. You know, and what do you where, mean by what do you mean by print? Like how much money the government's printing, or um, is that what you're saying? No, or? the the uh, the economic news that comes from the central bank, the print. I don't know. I'm using banker terms. Sorry, but um, uh, yeah. So it, it was seventy percent year on year for Turkey, and in 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 Lebanon, it's it's like in a hundreds percent. Nobody really even tracks anymore because it's just useless. So if you can get your hands on paper dollars, you're lucky, and uh, otherwise, you know, U.S. dollar coin will go a long way. So Lebanon has more trade in U.S. dollar tether, coin, Terra USD, the stables, uh, than Saudi Arabia or the Emirates, which I mean, you would think the larger, wealthier economies would. But because they need it way more. Yeah, exactly. So this this kind of goes back to it's like you know the, a crisis will crisis create drives a crisis. necessity to, to develop something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think that's like uh, I always think bring things back to like biology, right? It's like yeah. if, it, if, it, if an organism is struggling to survive, it has to adapt um, to, to in its environment. And I think like civilizations, cultures are the same way. Um, and like in, in like these econ- economies that are printing so much money and their currency is being devalued, they're going to be the yeah. ones that are going to be quickest to adapt in the crises, you know, and to, to find, find a way to survive. Yeah. yeah. And I think, and I, and I think, you know, zooming out a little, like going to, the topic of basically who's going to be funding all this progress that is going to build these these financial frameworks that we're going to use to come out of whatever you know crisis we might be heading into right now. Um, I think that that does like bring us back kind of full circle to the point of there's a lot of cool thing that's happening with this new technology. There's not a lot of money going into the things that are doing th- that are doing like initiatives, projects, products, and currencies that are actually going to help us out and progresses as a species pretty much because most of the attention most of the money is going to something where you can you know print a jpeg that you can flip overnight for like 10,000 x or something so i mean i guess the the we did mention like the, the whole points of data visualization we mentioned the the storytelling aspect of it and kind of the disadvantage that software is at not having built something physical but um in 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 this perspective right now and like the web3 and it benefiting you know, worlds and countries where you have, you know, Lebanon and Turkey specifically with ridiculous currency inflation, they're using all these stable coins. Like how, if if I was a founder behind one of those currencies or, or a, a person trying to build a, a fintech company around them, um, I guess what would be the best way of kind of telling a VC that this is, you know, we're onto something big here? Drink acid. <laughs> Pretty much. I worked for the guy. I worked for the guy with the Nobel Prize. Yeah, that's like the go-to solution. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think yeah. I mean, to that uh, to that point, like te- hearing people test it out and like hearing about how their lives have changed because because of it is always like the best thing that you can show. True. Yeah, because I think like with with my kind of limited knowledge of other industries, like the only place I see. The only industry that on on a mass scale I see people taking very or like VCs taking very bold bets and it paying off maybe like f- yeah. 10 years down the road or other decades, like some random number of decades down the road has definitely been 
biotech. And I know, like Aziz, this is something that you've you've dived into quite a bit. Um, yeah. But it's very much a you know we're building this tool that's going to help. We're building this like medical device that's going to help these doctors do this one thing more effectively or efficiently. And we're going to build this model that um, right. scans for you know signs of illnesses and signs of cancers coming up way before a human doctor can actually point these out. Um, Aiden, so can I ask, I mean, we have you for 10 more minutes. I wanted to get your opinion on one thing since you're into like, you know, frontier technology and longevity, what's your take on all the startups working on, uh, you know, kind of new nuclear fission reactors, small modular reactors, and what's been going on there for like green energy generation. Yeah. So I'm, I think everything was went from globalized generally to like it's coming back to like this very like localized decentralized world and like everything should be like sustainable and like a very small amount of like environments. And I think we are going to pioneer some of this technology with going to create like space station moon bases and Mars and realizing that we can create these self-sufficient like small ecosystems. And I think you're going to start to see that with like little cities that pop up or little areas. So I think anything that you can do to like put like energy, like for like a little town, like independent so where it doesn't need like some like massive grid system, you know, is like, that's clearly going to be the future, like where you can like have your own water filtration system. Um, like that's like, that's the, without a doubt in my mind, that's where the world's heading because you want to be like, be able to have like this independent kind of like, like uh, sustainable uh, complex and tap in only when you kind of need to, to the broader grid if things go down in your independent system. So I'm, I'm super bullish on like, uh, like, yeah, whether it's like little like fusion reactors uh, um, companies and I'm like looking to invest in one. There's like, there's a company that I know I like, but I just, yeah, looking to meet the founders and like back companies who are doing stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, we've done actually entire shows on fusion and, you know, while it's still kind of, uh, you know, the joke is like, we're no longer 30 years away from it. Now we're just three decades away from it. Right. <laughs> but uh, there's still, there's, there's just so much being done in fission and like with like modular reactors. And this is something I tell people all the time. It's like, you know, those giant cooling towers from the seventies, no one's doing that anymore. It's, it's scaled down so much and microgrids are the future. I agree. For, so did you know the company like radiant, I think they're called I think so. Yeah, they're super cool. They're building like these little small. It's, I think yeah, fission's what we have now, right? That's yeah, um, yeah. Um, and they're not using water, which I guess is like a huge like issue with why like there's been like uh, like Fukushima and all these like plants like they're like higher risk. Like there's something that they can do that's like like very different and makes the technology a lot safer. And I also think the rebranding of nuclear. Have you guys heard that is like super interesting? Like from nuclear to like elemental. I, I, I like that philosophy. Oh, interesting. Oh, that is good. Nuclear element. That's almost as good as Facebook to Meta to stick, you know get yeah <laughs> yeah yeah or for, or or or, 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 or from crypto to Web three. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's a good one too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. inmate made forty three fifty one to Mo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. That's that should be another episode. <laughs> <laughs> when that's, when the um, statute of limitations is up, sure. But uh, <laughs> no, exactly. but there, it seems like there's like so many different exciting things going on. You know, it's like uh, like 30, 40 years ago, there was like only a handful of like. Uh, thing like startups that could be built, you know, like the, the yeah. in ways that capital could be pulled together. But it's like now, it's like we have so great software pl platforms. We have the internet. We have like this democratization of like information where like you can see everything. And now it's like, oh wow, like we could 
build the future in a way that we've never could before. So it's like such an yeah. exciting time to like invest in companies, see founders across every single sector. Like just the world has never been like this. And it's just, yeah. it's just so fun to think about like, to like, to be involved in this type of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I tell everyone you should check out um, crowdfundedcures.org or.com. I can't remember, but basically like, you know, I think that's one of the best uh, use cases for, for, for web three, for biotech, for, I mean, every, it's just, you know, new uses of capital markets. It just, it all kind of, it came together so perfectly with that. And um, honestly, I would just love a portfolio full of ideas like that. These way out of left field. And if it works out, it's going to change everybody's life. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's the stuff that I want to back with like our fund um, is just like big, big idea stuff. That's going to like improve the species at scale. I do. Yeah. I do. I kind of have a last question though, from the VC perspective is, so you 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 guys can totally have a thesis around that type of the, these types of like moonshots and impossible to get goals that you can like take big bets on. But how difficult is it to find LPs to kind of back you up on that? Well, I think like our I mean job number one is to return capital for LPs. So I think like um, it's just finding the LPs, and I think but the biggest alpha is in solving the biggest problems. Like like what I say is like we're going to do things that the species like absolutely needs for like like the decades to come, like the companies are going to matter in like the 2030 mark. Um, but it, we know that we need to like, like generate return. And I, I do think that the biggest alpha though is going to be backing companies that solve the biggest problems. And so like, that's what we're kind of focused on. And I think LPs are like, yeah. Like if you think about Tesla, like making cars, like, like electric, that's a huge issue. So I, I think like, you know, like we, you kind of say like, we're going to do these moonshots, but the moonshots and the biggest ideas are going to return the most capital. Yeah. So it's definitely like a long-term game where you need to not paper hand anything pretty much to use web three terms. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the, the one last observation on that point, uh, I think paper hands is just as a concept were invented with web three because you had a liquid market where you could dump your token. Like that wasn't a thing with VC because there was literally no market to exit to. You were just stuck with it. Yeah. Oh, true. But I think that's changing with like private market liquidity, which I actually think is going to help the startup ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. But I'm trying to imagine the repercussions of daily mark to market and pre-seed startups. Yeah, but quarter quarterly maybe. Yeah. True. Ah, well, we'll see what happens with that. Anyhow, Aiden, it was so much fun having you on. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, likewise. It was sure. awesome. Anyhow, we'll let you get back to your uh, uh, spaceships and nuclear fusion reactors, and uh, we'll try to fix our Wi-Fi as usual. Yes. <laughs> and I'll go back to CVS, I guess. <laughs> yeah, hit up, hit up DoorDash. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Instead of an early user token, you get cavities. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> cavities and just like a a, a reference or, or or something to lean on when when aws starts throwing up so we love it <laughs> all right guys peace all right i thank you <laughs>